looking for a podcast about nothing, then you are definitely in the right spot. Join Ross Peterson and Mark Charter each week as they discuss life, current events, and the things you are not allowed to talk about at work. Okay, hang on, because here we go. This is Ross and Mark, Jump the Shark. Jump the Shark is sponsored by Charterhouse Real Estate. Charterhouse can help you save thousands when you sell, and we can help you buy your next home as well. Google Charterhouse to see hundreds of great reviews or learn more about us at charterhouseiowa.com. Now here is the show. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. I can too. It's snowy. You know what you do, Ross? You ruin songs. I re- <laughs> I just ruined one, didn't I, for you? Right. Not that not that that was high up on my list, but every time you come in, it's funny because if the lyrics are sexual, you don't know nothing. I right? don't I don't pick up on any of those cues. But, but you're like the dark G- stuff. Garth Brooks the other day. You're like, you realize this is about him crashing a wedding and banging the bride, right? <laughs> That's what this is about. And KK is a country fan's like, what? I'm like, yeah. Friends in low places. Listen to it. Friends in low places. Ross comes in today. He's like, this one's about divorce and the casualties it takes on children's lives. And it's such a happy song. It is such a upbeat, uplifting song. You sing the chorus and you're like, oh, this is awesome. Meanwhile, if I tell you the name of Ariana Grande's most recent hit is 34 plus 35. You're going to sit over there like a dumbass. Like you have no idea what that That concept's about. That's a little bit obvious, isn't it? She she wants she thirty four plus thirty five. That's the title of the song. Eli the other night, my uh, my ten year old son. He's like, uh, uh, now just just in case anyone's wondering if it's about here's your chorus. They just don't make them like they used to, Ross. The songs that they sing. Today. Okay, get you get that ready. I'll tell you the the Eli right. the Eli conversation. Yeah. I hear mom yell up the stairs. Eli, your coach wants to know what number you want to be for baseball this year. Uh oh. Give us three options. Last year, he was 99 because of Aaron Judge. Yeah. So he says, well, I want to be 99. And she says, okay, you've got to have two other options. Yeah. 69 and 59. <laughs> and I hear, no. <laughs> You're not going to be 69 on the team. Nope. Nope. Now, does he know any, Does he know what we're talking about or not? I, so I am really good at this game, Mark. I'm really good at, at like, what what... What's that mean? Aaron can't do it. Aaron busts up laughing as soon as okay. I do it. And I'm, I mean, I've done that several times with him when, you know, he'll, uh, you know, make a, make a circle with one hand and, you know, hey, dad, hey, dad. And I'll be like, what's that? What? Yeah. I don't understand what that's you supposed act dumb to be. About it I all. act completely ignorant about all of it. And I'm really good at it while Aaron is like folding up in a corner because she's laughing so hard and trying yeah. not to let him know. So I, but I haven't been able to pull that one off with him yet about the, about the six sixty nine. So the chorus thirty four plus thirty five. Yeah, the chorus of the song. Well, Mark, that's about how tough that lifespan is. We all know what that midlife crisis thing is about. Uh, Ariana Grande has gone through it. I don't think she's in her midlife crisis. Dude, she's yet. like twenty five. Yeah, isn't she's she? in her twenties, I think. Uh, the chorus is: Can you stay up all night? Okay. F me till the daylight. Wow. Thirty four, thirty five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you stay up all night? F me till the daylight, 34, 35. Wow. There's your lyrics. 
Wow, um, man. Yeah. What happened to It's Tootie? all about what, keeping like, the boy up, too. Like she says, like, I've been drinking coffee. I've been eating healthy. You know I keep it squeaky. She's Saving 20, up my energy. Yeah. She's 27, by the way. Born in uh, 93. June 26th of 93. Let's dissect that cross. Keeping in, it squeaky. In Boca Raton. Did you did you ever get into uh, Big Brother on CBS? Yes, yeah, like that a lot. Do you actually? Yeah, I really did. You're not I, shitting me. No, I'm not. I'm not shitting you at all. That I that was a show that uh, Aaron and I enjoyed watching. Like, and I remember one season a couple years ago when Eli was, you know, seven, eight years old, something like that. We like we made a deal that we were going to pick our favorites. Like the the minute the show started and it just gave you the faces, just yeah. shows you the yeah. faces. Yeah, everybody. yeah, yeah. No, I've like, done I've done similar right, you, games. You have to do. You got to pick your favorite based on first this. impression. My, my guy that I picked was the one that got thrown out that night. It's usually the older <laughs> like the, guy, like the twenty two people or whatever. The young guys, the young people on those shows don't want the old guys around. Uh, so yeah, that. So I, but I anyway, like that. why do you ask? A few seasons ago, Frankie Grande was on that show. Did you watch that season? That is her brother. Uh, and he kept it secret for most of the season and then eventually uh, I said that feel, she was his sister. Okay, again, I may have oversold it on how much I liked it because okay. I, I watched a couple seasons of it and okay. really liked it. But you don't watch it every season. No, and I don't, don't say... No, I'm not we trying get to be, hooked every year. Was, was, was he gay? Yes. Flamboyantly so? Pink hair, yeah. I think I remember... This is ringing he's a apparently bell. apparently a YouTube. Like, before he was even on that show, he was a YouTube personality. Okay, or all right. Whatever that means. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Being a YouTube personality? No, I meant the, the flaming gay thing. No, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Is, I, is flaming it, the offensive part? What's the right way? If probably, you don't, I have no, prob- prob- I have no problem with them being gay whatsoever. Not at My all. problem is not the flaming part. Well, and then that be, that's probably that... not the word to use. You're right. That's a, that's a jagged word. I should probably say... Outgoing, very out, the top out, outgoing. Out, outwardly. Why are people stupid, Ross? That's a good question. Why so dude? I'm not. I'm not a country uh, music fan. Yeah. Not my thing. Uh, the story that broke. I think. Well, it broke two days ago or yesterday. Morgan Wallen. Do you follow him? Aaron was telling me this this morning as we went to breakfast. She was telling me all about this. So here's what I know about Morgan Wallen. He was supposed to do SNL as a musical guest. Yeah. Uh, I think like back in December. Something like that. And yeah. he was booted at the last minute because he was the, the videos came out of him being at some big gatherings, not wearing masks. Yeah. Okay. Not taking COVID seriously. So he got booted. Well, then SNL realized that that was kind of silly and they brought him back. And, and A couple months later. That's it. That's So there, I've just given you everything I knew about Morgan He was on Wallen. the show as a mu- musical guest, was in a, yeah. a skit or two, pretty good. I, yeah. I, I could not tell you a song that he sings. But anyway... Uh, popular, and he gets caught on a camera, um, like a like a doorbell camera, I think from the neighbor across the street, right? I think he'd been out partying, comes home, and uh, calls somebody. I don't know if it was a friend or whatever, but basically calls a friend who I think was white, the N-word. Okay, caught on camera. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, Ross, we live in cancel culture now. Uh, hell, I mean... Now, this would have been different before you come out with your apology and, and you get your slap on the wrist and, and uh, you know, be a better boy and, and away you go. What it's like today to do that, I'm not justifying what he said at all, and I'll, I'll ask that question to you here in a second, but um, country music television, CMT, has totally taken him out of rotation. Uh, his record company has 
technically dropped him. I guess they suspended his contract, but he's no longer with them. Um, iHeart has dropped him. Pandora has do- dropped him. Um, so basically, he's gone from a guy that's having a successful career to your career is done at this point over the use of that word, which again, I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying, oh, that's too harsh or whatever, but I just don't get why. I, I Here's the thought. I, I think he's from the South. They must just view it a little differently down there and the usage of it because that's just not something I ever think about saying. It's not something I'd want to call you. Yeah. Like, that's the part I don't get. Yeah. Well, and it's not a Southern thing primarily, Mark, because the same thing just went down with, uh, uh, gosh, uh, Kyle Larson, the NASCAR yeah. driver. Yeah. It just went down. Called, went down called, like in April his or May, June. Buddy. Or, yeah, it was well, he was friend, called right? his, the guy that was his spotter. It was on an e-racing yeah. event, and the guy that was supposed to be his spotter, he called him that same I think word. he said it somewhat playfully, if I'm going yes, off and of I'm, it. And I Still don't, said it. <laughs> I don't know this Morgan Wallen thing, but I imagine it was the same thing. It, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put both of them in kind of the same category, even without hearing the Morgan Wallen thing, because they. I'm going to put them both in that category of, what the F are you thinking, man? You like. That word, and I, I'm, I'm not woke white dude, okay? Far from it. Um, you verbally that's spanked, some, but that's, you, you spanked your friend Chris on the radio for being woke. Uh, he's not my, yeah, yeah. The guy I, I said know, friend, uh, friend in the air quotes. There. I know him. I know him. And that, but I, I'm not, I hate this idea that, uh, uh, you know, as a white guy, I'm either not supposed to have opinions about this, first of all, because my opinions on it are that that word is absolutely repulsive. There's no excuse for it at all. And when you are, when you say this word, and, and actually the unfortunate part and the caveat here is when you get caught saying this word, mm-hmm. um, there should, be, there has to be in order, in order, Mark, for eradicate for, it. For, it, it yeah, exactly. In order for what we feel when we hear that word, which is nowhere close to what black people feel when they hear that word, in order for that feeling to start to permeate these other parts yeah. of the country and these other cultures. Because it's again, uh, the, the Kyle Larson. Even though he's a NASCAR kid, and that he, you immediately think South. That's a stereotype. He's actually a California sure. kid. Okay, um, and he's got he's like a little Hawaiian, Asian, Asian yeah, something. He's got okay. he's, yeah, he would, which he, also doesn't excuse it. it well, I'm not a minority too. Not so, at all. Uh, yeah. Doesn't excuse it that you're saying it to your buddy in jest. Doesn't excuse it. If it's a white guy, if it's a black guy, if you're like, oh, I have a black friend, and he doesn't mind when I call him this. Shut up. Yeah. And I've and I've never heard that by the way. I've never ever yeah. ever heard yeah. that. So Mark, I I'll tell you a couple of my stories here, all right? Um the first one, and again, I grew up like all of us. I grew up with this word not maybe having the weight that it does now. In my world, I heard this word. It wasn't used prevalently. My mom keep, my, keep in mind it did, and this is 70s. Yeah. There's a pretty famous SNL skit with Chevy Chase, where him and oh, where him and Richard right. Pryor that's go back right. and forth, and Chevy Chase says it. Well, now, okay, but Mark, to him, and it's a skit. But it, the point is that word was allowed and and not thought of as no, poorly. No, I think you're missing the point of that skit, which was trying to trying very early on to 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 get to the point. But where my we are point now. is, a white guy said it. A white guy did say it, but that the point of that skit, I think, was to point was to. To, to, to draw attention to exactly this. You're right. That's a great example. There's no way that would happen. Today. Correct. There's absolutely no way. Correct. Uh, so a couple of my, my stories here about that word. Um, 
I knew obviously that that was something. I mean, I never heard my 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 mom or dad say it, but it was something that like grandpa on one side of the family mm-hmm. had dropped that word. You knew what it meant, and and that it was a really nasty thing to say. Uh, then I get to middle school at Amos Hyatt. I'm around a lot more black kids. We had a couple of black kids at, at 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 in Pleasant Hill, but then all of a sudden it was you know 40 percent of our class was now and, and and guys I became friends with were now black guys. In high school, and I don't, I, this didn't happen in middle school. I remember we were in high school. We were in a, a, a shop class, and we had, for some reason, left the wood shop and walked to some other part of the school, maybe to look at some of the architecture in the building or something like that. And as we were walking back, two of my black friends in front of me were, were messing with each other. Another of my black friends was behind me. And the one guy said something to the other one that was really funny, but it included the N-word. And whatever the thing was he said, and my friend behind me said, what did he say that was so funny? And I repeated it. Yeah. And I said, oh, da-da-da-da-da-da. And it sucked the air out of the room. And, <laughs> and, my, and, they, and my buddies, they, again, they were like, Ross. Yeah. Never. Never, man. And I saw all, my, all of my black friends in that moment go from my friend to like, what the, yeah. what the, Ross just said that? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. Um, the most uncomfortable, man, I would encourage, have you ever heard Justin Surrency's story that he shared on Murph and Andy about this? It's so powerful, man. Because um, It rings a bell. I don't recall the details. About, he was a little kid, and a guy came up to his yard yeah. and said something to him about, I mean, it's, it's awful. It's awful. So and I, so I only say that because my my perspective of this is, a drop in the water to what some of the people that are listening to this, if we have black listeners, they're especially going to be like, what the, this kid cares. Here's my story. One of my best friends, uh, my buddy Tyson, he worked for my dad for a while. My dad had a little construction company and he would hire my, my buddies to come swing hammers for, for money and uh, for, you know, $10 an hour. And Tyson was an awesome worker and dad loved Tyson. And so Tyson worked for us a lot. My dad got a great big job, the apartment complex that I worked at where he was going to refinish a bunch of the buildings uh, out there. And so Tyson would come out every day to my apartment, and then we would go and work around the grounds and go get lunch and come back and do an afternoon work. And we were leaving the grounds one day in my little Chevy S10 pickup. Tyson was riding shotgun. And a friend of mine who was uh, a tenant at the building saw me, and she waves at me, and I pulled up next to her, and she leans in the passenger window, and her husband had just got a new job. And I said, hey... How's Bill enjoying his new gig? And she says, oh, Ross, you know how it is when you start at a new place. You're just the little end boy. With the black guy. I mean, literally literally leaning in the window six inches from Tyson's face. And and Tyson uh, Tyson was a, is a big dude, very yeah. athletic. He went ended up going to the military and doing like a bunch of tours. He's a badass. And I remember Tyson just kind of sitting back like, he didn't know what to do. I, it, it again, yeah. like suck the air out of the room is the only way you can describe it. And she goes, oh, you know, I, I, Tyson, you know I love you, and I didn't mean anything by that. And, <laughs> but and, I said it. Anyway. But I said it anyway, and, she, and then it was like, all right, see you guys later, and she backed away, and I didn't even know. I, I honestly don't even remember how we ever started a conversation. I, I remember he was so mad that yeah. he cussed for a long time, and he was like, you know. He, I, just, I just wonder on that word if it's something that... Um, 
you know, and somebody that's listening that's, that's, that's black might say, of course, but I, I don't know. It's like if, if somebody calls me something and then calls you something, it might affect us differently, right? Different tolerances. I wonder if that's just universally hurtful all the time. Like, no, no one's ever like, it's fine. I've heard it before, et cetera. It's just always like that dagger, like no, every time. Mark, it, it is, that is something that in, if in your culture, from the time you were a little kid, yeah. you were told this word, this particular word, it means something different because it does. It, it's there's not. It doesn't. It, well, it, said by a white person, it probably means you're less than. Exactly, exactly right. right. Th- that that's a good way to put it. If said by a white yeah. person, it is a pejorative. There's no argument about that. There's no wiggle room around that. Now let me ask you. I think uh, our our, our sa- sandwiches are here. Oh, go ahead and just leave those. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Yep, you bet. Have a good one. Jimmy Johns has arrived. Um, so. Play devil's advocate for a second. We didn't start this program to talk about this word. No, we'll, not we'll, at all. It's we'll, wild. <laughs> this is just the way our show goes. Um, but uh, the, the, the counter argument would be like, okay, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible word. And I agree with that. I don't use it. Um, but it is used prevalently. Prevalently? Prevalently, yeah. Prevalently. I'm a good enunciator. I, my, I have COVID. My tongue just went away. I'm just kidding. I'm good. Um, but in rap music, in a certain part of culture, et cetera. And that comes up, well, why, if it's so bad, why can they say it, et cetera? And the only thing I could think of that I've told people before, and I believe that I've heard this in interviews on the subject, et cetera, is basically it's the word, even though it's hurtful, belongs to them. It doesn't belong to us. It's not our word to use. Mark, that's the best explanation I've ever heard for it also is that it is a, it is a re-owning of the word. It is a rebranding of it. And that can't happen if you continue, if white people continue to use it as a pejorative. That, that, uh, the changing of the meaning, because we change the meanings of words, man. And in, in the history of time, we do it a lot. So they, it's, it's an effort to do that. It's a reowning of the word. And so I've never had a problem with that, I guess. And I, I know that that is such a weird argument to me of like, well, if they can say it, like, hold on a minute. This whole thing that we're talking about here, if we're talking about race, is about how things were different, right? It used to be. So that, it's okay. This is one word that we're saying you don't get to say. You don't get to say it. <laughs> one word out of all the words. Of all the words. This is the one word that you don't get to say yeah. because of the color of your skin. Is that racist? Sure, sure. Whatever you, you want to call it to make yourself feel like the victim because you can't say the N-word, Yeah. do that, but just don't say the blanking word. Yeah. Um. And it's so, it, man. And if you do, especially today, you need to expect consequences. Dude, look at this guy. I love it when it. I love it. Oh, he's sanding. Is that what it is? No, 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 no. That blue pickup was like backing up, back down First Street. Oh, nice. I love it when it's a snowstorm because you will the see the way. craziest stuff out on the roads, man. U turns, people going through ditches. My wife. Uh, let me hear. Okay, changing changing subjects to something probably even worse. <laughs> so, jeez, I just want to know why this happens. So, my wife texts me a little bit ago, twenty minutes ago, and says, "Crashed by Newton." Least shocking news ever. Everyone crashes there. Why don't they change this? And then I said, "We're recording." And then she says, "Now I feel bad because fatalities." Oh. There is something about that stretch over there, over by Newton on eighty, where for whatever reason seems to be a bad spot, but it's pretty straight over there. Do you know what I'm talking about yeah, at all? No, general absolutely, area? absolutely. What, what's the deal? So Mark, I think that this same thing can be said about that stretch 
of I-35 near Ames. Because we're not talking about crossovers, right? Because nope. they've got the guardrails up there yeah, yeah. right now. Yeah, okay. it's not people that are... And that and I, for the most part, the interstate system around Iowa is designed to prevent any sort of crossover. Yeah. I mean, there's huge, huge medians or the cable barriers or something sure. exists. Yep. That's almost impossible. What happens on those roads is something different. Because I'm going to... My, and again, man, didn't know you were going to bring this up, but I'm just yeah. going to throw a guess at the wall here, yeah. okay? Because w- when you say that, I think the same thing about that area south of Ames. And I don't think it has anything to do with the six Saturdays that, that there's a billion people. That's a different situation. There's a lot of accidents on I-35 in that stretch near Highway 30. There's a lot of accidents on I-80 near Newton. I completely agree with you. And it seems like they're bad. Here's the only thing I can think of is that you have – You've just kind of gotten out of town and you are, maybe you're, you've drifted off for just a moment. I mean, asleep. I mean, you're just not paying attention yeah. quite fully. You know, you're in for a long car ride or you're in for a drive. There's also in both of those areas, there's a ton of semi traffic. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of the fatalities involve people, you know, semis, semis, yep. semis break and they slam into one or yep. Drift into one, or a tire rolls off a trailer and, and hits a car. You know what I mean. So I think that it's a combination of that you're just about to get to where you are into a long drive out of town. Yep. And you've got a bunch of semi traffic. I mean, a, a good percentage of what you're dealing with is 18 wheelers. Mm-hmm. Uh, just guesses. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it just and maybe it's one of those things where the, it's not any different there than somewhere else, but. You just hear it seems the like it. I completely agree with you. It does. It does. So um, anyway, well, apparently anyway, somebody died, so that sucks. That but, sucks. You want uh, to talk about the uh, see that the podcast I listened to, or what pissed me I, off yesterday? Oh, I like talking about things that piss you off. I want to give a movie recommendation first, okay? Um, and then one that I watched that you said you wouldn't like um, at all. But the movie recommendation I was going to give out is called A Promising Young Woman. Um, I won't say a lot about it. It's out. It's in the theaters right now. It's on any illegal site that I might have to go on from time to time. But uh, Pornhub? No, no. It starts Carrie Mulligan. That's Wouldn't an, that be wild if Pornhub started showing like releases movies. of movies? Yeah, I'm sure, and they'd probably have one called A Promising Young Woman, wouldn't they? Yeah, I bet that's on there. I bet, yeah, it's, I bet it is in your search bar. But it is. So anyway, can you give me? I know I've seen something. I know I've seen something because you said that it rang a, a tiny so bell. So the trailer for this, which was on TV, people probably saw that, was showing this woman, attractive woman, like at a bar that <sighs> looked really drunk. I know. Really drunk, yes. okay? And then a guy approaches and, and basically tries to take her home knowing that she's inebriated, right? So then, okay, what happens from there, right? And the movie takes some turns that you don't think it's going to take um interesting ending to it it was just a movie that held my attention the whole time because i'm like where's this going what is this it's not it's not like a mystery but it's like you can't quite tell what's going to happen which is a good thing in a movie you don't a, want a movie a, to be a totally promising young woman a promising young woman dude is, is the name of it i i so i don't know if i saw the preview maybe you showed me something with this i know what you're talking about now i'm really intrigued by this so, yeah, that gets my recommendation. Then yeah. I watched the documentary that you pooped all over. Um, it was on HBO Max. Uh, I watched the Bee Gees documentary. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't poop all over you, that. You, you, you pooped on it. 
Dude, to, you I, said, dude, I hate the BGs, and you're gay for even liking them. No, hold on. Direct that, quote. <laughs> you don't know this. You don't know what I'm about to tell you. I'm lying. That was not a direct. Ross didn't say that. He's, I didn't, he's, I didn't he's, say he's, that. He's nicer than that. I didn't say that. You did say. I did say I, I, I have no interest. I have no interest. I don't, I don't like, like the, the I don't BGs. Like the BGs. I don't like yeah. falsetto singing. I, I didn't tell you this part of this. Uh, over the weekend. A friend of mine reached out to me and said, dude, you need to watch this Bee Gees documentary on HBO. Oh, nice. And I said, man, Charter told me the same thing. I don't like the Bee Gees. He said, trust me, watch this thing. There's stuff in it that you're going to take away from it that you're really going to like. You need to, you need to check this out. And I was really glad I did. In fact, I need to reach. I, haven't, I told Christian I was going to text him right after I watched it. So you it. did watch it. I did watch it, and I did really enjoy it. In fact, Eli watched it with me. The great part about musical documentaries is it's not just about the music. It's how the music came to be and right. the interconnections in their life to other people yeah. and what was going on at the time and how essentially, because as a sports fan, you know all about demolition disco yeah. night yeah. that occurred, what, uh, late 70s, early 80s? Late 70s in Chicago. Yeah. Um, at Comiskey Park, right. right? That was a big event in sports when I that, when that I happened. Had, I had, had never heard the racial aspect of that until that. That had a lot to do with yeah. the Bee Gees, though, because when you think disco, a lot of people think Bee Gees, but they never identified, self-identified as disco. They were just, that was the music at the time. That was popular. Which, by the way, they were kind of the originators of. They were not the originators of disco necessarily. Well, what, but what launched it was a Saturday Night Fever album. Yes. Yeah. Which was a huge, huge album. Just one hit and after Mark, another after another. Did you, had you ever heard that the Bee Gees were the originators of looping? No. That's amazing. Like, no. That's a, that is... That, that You're talking is, about like the soundtrack to the music. Yes, so like staying alive. Yeah, a, a loop. The buddle bump bump yep. bump 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 buddle bump 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 bump. Normally, there would have been musicians in a room. There are amazing documentaries about you know the Wrecking Crew and things like that about these studio musicians who you've never heard of in your life mm -hmm. who made all the music that you know. Yep. And then other musicians that wrote the notes would actually go out and perform the songs and they would be the called the Beach Boys or something like that. With the Bee Gees, what they figured out, so the story basically goes that their drummer is in there and he's banging away and he's keep keeping a beat and he's killing it. And he's like, hey guys, I got to get lunch. I'm going to go and get lunch. They're like, man, what we, it sucks that we have to take this hour off because he leaves and we can't do anything without the, the drums yeah. going. So what if we recorded it and then put that and, and we, splice the tape, literally loop it around, yep. and then just play that loop over and over, and it just goes yep. boom, boom, chick, boom, boom, chick, mm -hmm. boom, boom. He only has to do it one time. He yep. just has to go boom, boom, chick. And when he does that, we can just take that and loop it. Forever can, forever changing how they could record. Forever changing the, the recording industry, because that is... Dude, the, you hear loops a hundred times a day, and you don't even know it. In, on, in commercials, when I made commercials... This was one of the skills that I had. You don't hear it until you try to hear it. Until and you, then, until and you then know. it won't get out. Like it's, I always remember there's certain songs growing up, people hear things differently, right? Laurel, Yanni. We yes, hear things differently, right, right? Totally. So you and I could listen to the same song, and in the background, someone's singing it straight, and then someone else is singing it higher than that at the same time to create a sound, right? I'm hearing that straight part and you're hearing that higher part. Yeah. So we hear the song differently yeah. every time. It's funny. And when right. someone points out, don't, isn't it annoying? Like every time you hear that little bell in the background, you're like, what are you talking about? And the, <laughs> then you're like, you listen to the song and you hear this ding, like this faint little ding, like every eight seconds in the song. 
and you never hear the song the same way again because now it's because oh crap that song's ruined my my best example that's drop it like it's hot drop it like it's hot so the part most people know the snoo right Mm -hmm. there's also to the beat it's not a sound effect it is a guy going (laughs) really okay so annoying it's so annoying. You can literally hear his tongue slapping around inside of his mouth. It's so unbelievably annoying. And I have never been able to hear that song without just hearing that guy slapping his tongue. Yeah. Right, right. It's like, oh, God, it's gross. It's like, let's see. Get, let's just, you know, the grossest sound we can come up with. Let's just see if we can sneak it into this track. So, yeah, no, I'm happy you watched it, man. I did. I really liked it. I thought it was fantastic. Big, big strides out of you. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's I, nice. And I have an appreciation for BG's music now after watching that that I didn't have before. I don't, I'm not going to say I like it. You're not going to catch me singing Staying Alive. They were talented. Like Let's put they, that oh, no doubt that they were talented and had vision and drive and... Um, you know, they the, the they young, wanted to be famous. The oldest like brother, childhood. Knew, yeah, from like he was like eleven, and he looked at his two little brothers and said, "Hey guys, I'm gonna learn how to play the guitar, and we're gonna be famous." Yeah. And then when you, if you were to take that backwards, a lot of people who love music think that the Gibbs are some of the most talented musicians of all time. That they just they're pure. Their harmonies are just incredible. Um, Again, I'm not a fan, but you yeah. will find real music aficionados out there who say, "Hey, the Bee Gees are the real deal." Think of how think of how backwards that is. If if you said this person is naturally talented and has this ability to harmonize like nobody else, and that's how music found them. Yeah. No, 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 no. They wanted to be famous, and then they happened to have talent, and then they worked their ass off to get to that point. Do you ever think this documentaries your mind gets skewed a little bit when they have other artists on them like this one did? Like they had Justin Timberlake in there, and oh. and Justin Timberlake's in there saying, "These guys are brilliant." Does it sway you to go? Maybe these guys are brilliant. You know, maybe I need to give this another thought. Yeah, not necessarily in that. I guess particular case, maybe maybe subconsciously that did yeah. have have an effect. But I would say that does impact me, Mark. That's how I became a fan of Steely Dan. That's how I became a fan of Jackson Brown. Was you hear. Other musicians that you like say, hey, man, this dude is really good. Sturgill Simpson, you hear other musicians say, I wish I could write songs like Sturgill Simpson. That intrigues me. And I go, wait a minute, why is this? Then you go listen to his songs. You really listen to his songs and you go, whoa, this is, this yeah. is amazing, man. This is Carl Sandburg put to music. It's awesome. Do you have a favorite band? Uh, or or uh, individual artist? Someone that every time they come on, you're like, oh, yeah. You, almost any Jackson Brown song. Okay. And I know that that's not a real popular because most people just think of like Dr. My Eyes maybe or I don't even know what the big Jackson Brown song is. <laughs> um, he wrote, She's got to be Somebody's Baby. Yeah. Whatever the title yeah. of that one is. Somebody's Baby is the name of it. Yeah. That's, she, that's uh, uh, Jackson Brown used to write songs for the Eagles. And with the Eagles, and mm-hmm. he is, I think, just an amazing singer-songwriter. But he's got a pretty crabby past. He uh, has, I think, some sort of abuse allegation from when he dated Daryl Hannah. No idea. And I don't. But so again, there, you, yeah. he's a guy that uh, you have to be careful when you say you like yeah. because people are like, oh. Well, and that's and that's another uh, thing about why you watch these musical documentaries. The Eagles documentary, which is also fantastic, like they move into an apartment just out of nowhere and the downstairs neighbors, Jackson Brown. Yeah. 
So they're hearing him playing like the music that would become popular and became yep. friends with him. He had a completely different method of songwriting than they did. Their their idea was to just sit there and jam for a little while, and when they felt like they had a good groove, kind of build a song around that groove. Yeah. And then they'd find some music and lyrics that they thought would fit in to that music. And then all of a sudden they moved into this place, and they, and they thought that there was like a kid downstairs that tuned pianos because they would hear the same chords over and over and over for days. The same three chords, dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, and then they'd hear a fourth chord, dun-dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun. For days on end and days on end, they'd go, what is happening? So finally they went down and realized that this kid, who's like 17 years old, had this methodic methodic way of writing songs where he would literally go note by note, word by word, build the song from a poem build the song into a beat and mm-hmm. talk to them about that and then write songs like Take It Easy. and There's obviously no right way to write songs. I've seen, I was watching something the other day, John Mayer was in the, this was a while back, but it was just a um, part of a documentary or something, but John Mayer went into the studio with the musicians and they just kind of like tinkered around, man. They kind of like found, found a sound that they liked and then built on that sound. By the end of the day, they've got a song yeah. that people would know. It's not like they went in like, here's our song. It's like they went in there and that's the job is like finding the song. And, and while that's going on, while that's, you, you know, I really like that. I really like that. Let me write down some lyrics. Right. He's like writing the song there. Yes. Yeah. It hadn't been written for months and months and months. He's like just literally that good at it that he can write a song there. That, I've heard Billy Joel does kind of that same method where he he does the music at first. It's all he writes this music and then he as he just keeps playing it and keeps playing it and at some point in playing it a story starts to appear in his head yeah. about what he's going to eventually write and then he's able to write now, a song. This was in the movie and I assume there's truth to it, but one of the surprising things um, that I learned in the the movie's a little bit uh fantasy in my opinion but rocket man with elton john i don't know if you saw that or no, not i did i didn't didn't enjoy I, that one i didn't i didn't like the movie that much because yeah. they took too many side journeys and the weirdness and stuff i liked um the uh the queen like, one a lot more that seemed a lot more true to life in terms of I documentary still have, i still haven't seen bohemian Rhapsody. it's awesome that's fantastic it's awesome yeah. you see that. Yeah. but um the partnership between elton john and bernie toppin yeah elton john would just write lyrics just like on a piece of paper and, and at least in the movie, like mail them to Bernie. Bernie would get them and put music to it. And that became the song. Elton John was never writing the actual sound. He's just, or, or was it vice it versa? Vice, vice versa, versa, vice versa. Vice versa. Bernie yeah. Toppin wrote the song. As I was saying, they yeah, have vice versa. So um, an interesting partnership, but they did that forever. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just one or two songs. That's just the way that they worked. You know, yeah, and you're right. Elton John would get it in the mail, at least in the movie the new lyrics, and then, you know, immediately sit down at the piano and just play the right tune. Which, Hold me closer, time Yeah, you got to wonder, like, when you just get the lyrics on a sheet of paper with no sound to it. She packed like, my bags last night pre-flight. pre-flight. Yeah. What the? F- zero hour? 9 a.m.? What's that even mean? That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Whatever, all, I, all I know is he's going to get high as a kite. Whatever, Bernie. Yeah, Bernie. Let's <laughs> this clown. Write the melody. So... You um, you stumbled on a documentary. No, no, no. You stumbled on a podcast. Yeah, I did. 
It was, thanks for everybody. Ryan Grove will be listening to this. And in fact, I uh, Grove, by the time you At hear this... Four times speed. Yeah, right. By the time you hear this, Grove, I hope that you know that I've uh, already called out to you or, it's or even, reached out to you. It's even faster, man. I listened to, I uh, to so good a brief thing. I think it was maybe three and a half speed. Um, I went on audible.com and clicked on that. I think I could listen to a book at three and a half times speed, maybe four times speed. And I listened for like 20 seconds and it was, I can't do it. it's, it's crazy. I don't know how people can hear it. Now you train your brain. We've, we've said our buddy Ryan Grove is, is the rain man of our, this is so funny because we say he's the rain man of our group because we go to Vegas and he plays uh, video poker. And he does it in a really, really, really fast way. Almost to the point where if you're watching him play, you're like, how did you even see what was on the screen before you hit more buttons to, to keep going? And then he said that he listens to basically every podcast. And that's all he does all day is listen to podcasts on double speed. So his brain's just wired different, man. It's got to be. So Grove, I hope I've already talked to you about this. If not, thank you so much for the recommendation on the Gamblers podcast. I'm going to try to get to it right now so I can make sure that I'm giving that... Uh, uh, given that the love that it that it deserves. Grove sent me this and said, hey, I, this is a podcast that you're not really going to care about because it's about uh, um, guys that make their living on gambling. And that's not something that I do. I don't really care about gambling that much. So he knew I wasn't going to care about the series, but this one particular episode happened to be about um, a guy from Des Moines, Iowa. So I've been giving this a listen yesterday as I was driving around and doing some stuff. Uh, I listened to this. Then last night, as I was laying in bed, I finally got to the last 10, 15 minutes of it. It's a fascinating story about this kid named Scott Frost. I call him a kid. He's a few, few years older than me, mid-40s, late-40s now. Not the Scott Frost. Not the Scott Frost that coaches at Nebraska. This is a kid that grew up, I believe, from some of the stuff that I've been able to kind of dig up in Norwalk, I think. But in the Des Moines area, okay, yeah. and, and very true story that he became one of the world's greatest pool sharks. Now, again, he's, this guy's not an old man. He is under the age, he's around the age of 50, I think, within give or take five years, I'll say. Yeah. And was a high school athlete, was a pretty good athlete, had never played pool in his life was a tough kid and kind of a troubled kid, and he gets kicked off the basketball team. And when he gets kicked off the basketball team, one of his buddies who was even more down the dark alleys of life says, hey, don't worry about it. Let's go. I got a bar. He was only 17 years old. I got a bar that we can go hang out at. And it happened to be a pool hall. And his life turns a 180 at that point. And he becomes... A kid that had, ne from, had never played pool. Alleg yeah, that's what you said. Allegedly, this kid's 17 and has never played pool to the extent this guy's right-handed and he picks up a pool cue in his right hand and guides it with his left, or picks it up in his left hand and guides it with his right. Yes, yeah, right so hand. So it's shooting, leads, leads shooting, right. shooting left-handed. Yeah, right. Right, doesn't know any better. Right. And, and, still, and, and still shoots that way today. And becomes one of the best in the world shooting with his wrong hand. Yeah. Uh, a master with the specific game that he is so well known for around the world is uh, called one pocket, which is sounds like more chess than billiards um, where there literally is one pocket and it's who is sinking the most number of balls. And then these games end up lasting almost like what you hear with uh, um, what's the, what's the other tabletop game that lasts for days. Snooker. 
Yeah, I'm not all that familiar with how, it, how a snooker actually works. The way works. they describe... It's a bigger table. Yeah. Snooker's bigger. The way they described these one-ball games, Mark, was a lot like snooker. Like, these games could go for three or four days mm-hmm. at a time, and, and continuous. So, one of the things that he was really good at was keeping his wits over that two- or three-day span. Guys would get delirious. They'd be sinking balls, sinking his balls into the pocket, falling over at the table, and he could keep his wits about him and just keep plugging away and plugging away and beat these guys. And he realized this skill pretty early on. In these dark underground worlds, man, it's not as it's a pretty small world, okay? Things travel really fast. Word gets out quick when you're doing things. When you're even a kid, if you're really good at taking people's money, word gets out. Yeah. So this podcast does this great job of explaining this underground world of pool sharks, how they get from town to town, how they find games when they go from town to town. Uh, what happens when you're in a game like this? How you- I'm curious, without listening, and I think you can give this part away, they go in and they know at a certain point that they're the best person in the bar, wherever they are, right? Is part of the game faking like they're not? So they go through that a little bit. I'll uh, lose uh, these first two games on yeah, purpose. Uh, and what's, then, what's the name? Hustling. Cause, hustling. Yeah, because as soon as someone knows, like, this guy's, like, world class, you're not going to bet him anymore. So that, obviously, Mark, there's a stage when you can do that. There's a there's a point in time, and, and they go through how Scott uh, got hustled and who the guy was that hustled him and, and then took him under his wing and said, hey, yeah. man, I don't want this to happen to you anymore. You're good enough that you can learn how to do this to people. But then, again, man, he, that rocket ship takes off and you shoot into a different stratosphere, and all of a sudden he's in an area where you're right. When, he, when the door opens up, everybody in the room goes, that's Scott Frost. His, nick, his name becomes The Freezer. Get it? Yeah, like yeah. that? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they tell some amazing stories about go, driving to towns down in Texas, taking a, a couple grand with them to go find some games, and then walking into just the wrong room where a guy that knows the the Houston area well says, hey, you're Scott Frost. I know why you're here. You're here to take everybody's money, so here's the deal. I'm going to put the word out that you're in town and tell nobody to play you, or I'll actually set up games for you, and then you give me a quarter of what your take is at the end of the week. Yeah. And those guys, they have a name for that position, kind of like a pimp, I guess. It's a pool pimp. And And every town has one. Every town has a guy. That knows how That's to find you an underground game for several thousand dollars. And, and again, if Scott Frost, the dude that is known as the world's best at this, is from Des Moines, Iowa, that means that's happening here in Des Moines. Yeah. That means there's some guy in Des Moines that knows how to find a pool game that you can play for two grand a pop. That, and by the way, is played in rules that had to be explained to me, and I grew up with a pool table in my basement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was fascinating, man. Super cool. At the very end of the documentary, of the podcast... He's talking about what he's doing now, his business ventures, and he says, I'm really excited to be opening a new bar down here in the Tucson area. I've done this with my good friend from the Des Moines area, Jason Chance. I worked for a long time, for 15 years. I worked at the radio station with a guy named Greg Chance. That can't be that common of a nickname, of of a last name, right? So I got on Facebook. This was like at midnight last night. Found that Greg's brother's name is Jason. Found that Jason is friends with Scott Frost, the pool shark. So woke up this morning and I called my buddy Greg. I'm like, man, tell me all about Scott Frost. So uh, yeah, kind of cool stuff. Very interesting thing. So thanks to Ryan Grove for turning me on to that. Would this be something that you can get him on your show? Would you want to have somebody like that on your show? I would be fascinated to have him on my show. Um, 
I don't know, Mark, I don't know how you would fact check any of the stories that he has. You know, maybe you don't. These aren't stories that you can you can look up a police record because he never called the police. You know, when he got when he got the they might be a little bit Mark Twainish, maybe. They could be. And we've talked a lot about memory on this, yeah. right? And I I know that your memories get fudged. You become the own hero in your own story uh, very easily. So I don't know. I, I don't know how I would ever fact check if uh, he actually got the shit kicked out of him outside of Tucson, got his shoes ripped off of him, and they found the $6,000. He claims, Mark, that he could put $6,000 okay. in $100 bills under his feet in his shoes. Okay. In each shoe, in each shoe, six thousand and was it six grand in each shoe? He said that it would it would uh, equal about an inch of yeah, padding. I mean, I'm trying well, to I think. Well, I guess because ten thousand dollar, ten thousand's not. It's not as thick as you. Yeah, thick. right. That's a good point. So you could probably do it. In fact, I don't even think a ten thousand's an inch thick. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, it's right right around there. It probably it? is. Yeah. Okay. We need to do some more research. Well, next time you give me a ten thousand dollars stack. Do you have a do you have a duty though to fact check people? I mean, your show's entertainment. No, you can't just let the guy come on and no, tell us stories. I, I don't. No, I have no duty to fact check the guy. Uh, but at the same time, like, <laughs> that's a weird that's a weird question, Mark. I don't, I don't, maybe, is there, is there a difference between duty and responsibility? Because if there is, I'd like to draw that distinction. Or maybe it's, you're right. If I don't fact check everything that happens on my radio show, certainly. Yeah. If Bruno comes in and tells me some lavish story about some guy that got beat up at the bar or something like that, um, I don't go and check the police report on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, with stuff like this, where I'm going to come on and say, this guy's amazing, this guy's incredible, uh, I would want to fact check it. I'll give you a, a, a good example of this thing if you got it. If we got a second before we go to break, we got a few seconds. We don't have breaks, Ross. Uh, have you ever heard of Frankie Mink? Yes. Yeah. So Frankie He's Mink, the, uh, American, uh, American History, History X. X. Yeah. Yes, yep. that's a, so. I love Frank. I've, I've done a couple things with Frank over the years. Incredible dude, like incredible guy. If you don't know Frank's story, it does look a lot like the American History X story. Frank was recruited into a white supremacist group out of Philadelphia when he was a teenage kid. He became a high-ranking member of this group. He committed some heinous crimes against black people because they were black, because of the color of their skin. He went to jail. He reformed his life while in jail. He was introduced to a couple other to a couple black guys that he realized, oh, crap, all the things I've been told about these dudes are wrong. And they're just like me. They're just like me. They just have different color skin, and mm -hmm. I've been wrong about this. And that epiphany was enough to not only change his life, but he went back out into the community, a lot like the American History X story, and tried to, those kids that he had recruited into this same club, he had basically tried to pull them back out or, 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 or open their eyes to it. Some of his story is even better than the American History X story. Okay, again, not being Is that movie based off him or no? That's, that's why I'm bringing up the fact-checking thing. Okay. okay. I don't know. And, and, and Frank is careful not to actually make that claim publicly. Now, when you I listen, assume he didn't have a brother that got shot at that, the end, it, like it, in the movie. Exactly. You, there are so many things about the story that are slightly different. We're going down the Rudy road he, here. Exactly. He doesn't have a swastika tattooed on his chest. He, you know, he didn't curb stomp a guy. He, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's... Yeah. 
but again, I just went through all the things that if I were to explain that story, you would say, oh, you're talking about American History X. Yeah. So it's not a direct replica of his life. So I, I love bringing Frankie on to have him tell me his story because his story on its own is amazing. But I don't like bringing him on the air and then people say, oh, you're the guy from American History X. No, no, that's not quite that's not quite right. And that's what I would want to do with Scott Frost. You know what I mean? Uh, hey, you are, you're this amazing pool shark, man. This happens in Des Moines, Iowa. You went from shooting hoops when you were 17 years old to the darkest, seediest places in the country and walking out of these parking lots at 4 a.m. with 80 grand in your pocket. Let's, let's talk about that and tell those fun stories, but we don't have to get into the you know, some yeah. of the, like, you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Think, yeah. So. Pick and choose. Pick and choose. Um, I've got a couple of questions uh, to ask, just random questions here uh, before we get out here. But before I do that, you had said uh, something pissed you off yesterday. <laughs> I wanted to figure out what that was, Ross. You know what that was. Do I? Oh. You know exactly what it was. Can we talk about it? Like the, the, the post? Yeah. Yeah, do it. So. I helped some friends sell their home in West Des Moines. It was uh, th- around a $350,000 home. And when uh, our model with the $2495 plus 3%, when we do that, we're saving our clients over $7,000. In this case, it was over $7,700. Real Com- cash. Compared to a 6% listing. Compared to a 6% listing where they would have paid their listing agent 3% of the home and we were taking $2495. You know, I'll do the math on that. Yep. The homes, okay, so... They would have paid a hell of a lot more that would have gone into their agent's pocket, and instead, they are going to have that money on closing day. And not only are these clients, these are literally friends of mine that, that, are, doing this for, that mm-hmm. are doing this for. This feels awesome. It's such a cool thing. I'm really proud of it. I'm, it so I posted that yesterday. I said, hey, we sold this house. Happened in less than a week. Market's crazy hot, and no better option out there for you than this charter house model because here's a great example. We just saved these people $7,000. They have three kids. That's a vacation. That's a nice vacation. It's braces. That's it's braces, uh, right? All that's, sorts of things. That's a used car for the kid. That that's a lot of money. Yep. Real cash. It's not. There's nothing. There's no trick. The corner that's being cut is we are taking less of your money than a six percent agent would would take. So I posted that out there. Not even with all of that. Just saying, hey, look, save these people seven thousand dollars. Factual post. Yeah. No. Nothing. Even opinion about it. Yep. Yesterday at our meeting at, uh, at Charter House, I guess I posted that two days ago. Yesterday at our meeting, uh, at the end of the meeting, Mark says, hey, anybody working on some deals that are funky that we can all learn from? It's just kind of what Mark does at the, at the end of most of our meetings here to say, you know, so we can all be in the loop. We can all learn from one another, that sort of thing. And one of our agents says, yeah, I was working on a deal yesterday and it almost fell apart because of Ross. <laughs> and that was, that's a weird thing to yeah. say. And, it, and, and, and she didn't, she was, she was smiling through this. It certainly, she was yeah. being facetious. Yeah. What do you mean? So, well, in the middle of negotiating back and forth with this agent on this deal, this is the text I get. And she pulls up her phone and she kind of starts to read some of the text before. And out of the blue, I mean, they're going back and forth about real negotiations on a house. And out of the blue, this other agent writes to our agent and says, does Ross Peterson not understand that he pisses off all the big name agents in this state when he posts firm, stuff big, like big that? Firms big firms. Big firms. Yeah. When he, in this city, when he posts stuff like that. 
when he posts that he just saved an island, and, and, and a family. We know, friend, yeah, money. we know what it had to be because I had not posted anything for a week or so, yeah. maybe listings. Yeah. But this one was specific of, hey, save these people a bunch of money. So we know exactly what she was talking about. That an agent was mad or a firm was mad. Somebody, people in other firms yeah. are talking about me and talking yeah. about the Charterhouse model. And they're mad because what I pointed out to them was, I take less of your money. That's what the, the, what, the post doesn't... What you pointed out to them was how much more expensive they are. That's what yes, you pointed out. that's what out. they're mad about. They're, right? Yeah. Now, the key thing to remember for those listening going, well, I don't want to work with a firm where people are mad at them. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's an understandable take. And we talk to clients all the time. They're like, well, do other firms cooperate with you? The key to our model, by the way, is that we charge $24.95 plus 3%. So yes. when you list your house we offer 3% to whoever brings the buyer. That's the normal amount of money right. on our MLS. That's what agents expect to see. So whether they hate us or not, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because they're representing a buyer. And if the buyer wants to see that home, they're going to show them the home because they want to get paid. They're, they're not going to choose stubbornness over that. If that was true, if agents hated us so much that they weren't showing our homes, we wouldn't sell any listings. Our listings wouldn't sell. We'd go out of business, et cetera. Instead, we just had our best year. Agents here are doing extremely well because people still show the listings, right? Now, the, the funny thing is, why are we quote-unquote hated? Because we're literally saving people thousands of dollars. We are showing people one client at a time that you can pay much, much, much less yeah. commission and still get a great experience, a full-time agent. The same exact experience. It's the exact same, okay. except it's thousands less. The, and that's it. The, and they hate that. Mark, I almost added, and, and again, I when I say this uh, this little fire, it's a really good fire. I woke up this morning. It was in my belly still. Uh, I'm, I'm holding off a little bit on, on some of the things that I want to post just because I, I don't want to... Uh, uh, jeopardizing relationships that are out there right now. But at some point, I am going to to point out some of this these things. In my first nine months of doing this job, I've sold a home for $115,000, and I've sold a home for $350,000. And I will tell you that for selling both of those homes, in fact, I, the truth is, selling the $117,000 home or $115,000 home was I lost more sleep? It took more time. Yeah, I, I, I homes have more issues typically in it those just, ranges. It, it, and and I was that couple. They there were some other things. They were yeah. they had already bought a new home, and so yeah. I felt some pressure to help them and get that house moved. This uh, the three hundred fifty thousand dollar home sold in a week. Yeah, a hundred eighty five thousand dollar home sold in a day last week. My point is, I did the same amount of work to list that $350,000 home that I did when I listed that $125,000 home when we initially yeah. put it up or whatever whatever it was. Same amount of work. I hired the same photographer to come over and take the same yeah. photos. Went on the same MLS. I went on the same MLS. I, I used the yeah. same amount of characters to describe the house. I did the same amount of work, but any other, a 6% agent would have gone to those same sellers and said, you owe me $7,000 more than these people because... Yeah. I sold this because your house was worth more. I didn't do seven thousand well, dollars worth the, of work. The I true nonsense of how our commission works in this business. Now, now what we are controlling here is our side, right? So right. typically, the commission that is given that the seller pays is split 
50-50 at closing, typically. So 6%, one side makes 3%, one side makes, the other side makes 3%. So the part that we can control is our side. That's the twenty four ninety five, And that's the same no matter what the price point is, right? We don't control the 3% part because that's what's expected of agents and we want people to still go show the homes and buy them. But what's really, really, really stupid about our industry, and I'm sure all of you have caught onto this already, is the fact that a $200,000 buyer who hires a 6% agent pays $12,000 in commission. The $400,000 seller that does it is paying $24,000. People, it is the exact same process. $200,000, $400,000, $600,000, $800,000. The, the fact that it's more and more and more expensive for sellers as they go higher is ridiculous. It's market. There's literally no reason for it at all, other than it's just always been that that's way. That's it. That's exactly the way. It, it, that's exactly the answer. And you, Mark, you've been in this business long enough to know it wasn't even always six percent. It used to be higher. Seven was yeah. the norm. And and I think before seven, it was higher than that. I, think I don't know if, if it was. Go- I don't know if it was ever higher than seven. I know that seven used to be prevalent, and it used to be seven across the board. Yeah. And then competition, right? Competition's right. a beautiful thing. So competition drives it down to using Ankeny as an example. Ankeny is a 6% town, just is. Occasionally, you'll see some firms desperately clinging to 7%, right? But we're also starting to see some 5%. We're starting to see more firms that are like us. The good news for consumers out there, especially if you're a seller, is that commission overall is coming down, right? And there's lawsuits at the national level involving firms trying to keep commissions higher than they are. Um, I just shared a post yesterday on Facebook about an article that was written in Realtor Magazine, which is the magazine for our industry. And the article was about how to justify your commission. Yeah, I saw that you shared that with group, right. It's like, come on, man. If you're in the position where the person coming to your house already is walking into the living room feeling like I'm going to have to justify how expensive I am, maybe you're too expensive, right? So the beauty of what we're doing is we don't have to justify anything. Right. The first time you meet us, we're like, we already discounted the crap out of so, this I mean, thing. So let me give you some of the th- If I were a 6% agent, um, I'd say, listen, I got, it's experience. Well, you're not going to... So you can type in the remarks faster than the, the, yeah. than the guy that's been doing it for two years. Or I have a bunch of buyers because I've been doing this a long time and you're going to pay me this 6% because I'm going to be able to move this thing faster because I have buyers. So you're going to be able to keep more of my money. Yeah. Is what, yeah. That's what you're saying. So because you can make this process go quicker and because yeah. you've got somebody lined up already and this is going to be no work for you, yep. now I get to pay you even more money. Here's what I can tell Hi. you, by the way. How are you? Yeah, you can just go ahead and set it down. That's fine. Thanks. Busy here today. So Here's something that we hear a lot. I, well, I, I, I need to hire that agent because I talked to that agent and they said they've got a bunch of buyers, so I need to hire them, okay? That's ridiculous. It, it, we need to have a full show on the, the shit agents say yeah. that isn't true or shouldn't matter, right? If you talk to somebody like that, you can say, great, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire Charterhouse and save a bunch of money with them, but the good news is you can still you're make your still 3% gonna, right, and right. bring one of those buyers right, over. because the job's done, right? I mean, especially as a buying agent, you're, all you're going to do is... And it's even better because you didn't have to spend any money on the listing exactly. and, and, you don't and have hassle to hire, with anything. Yeah, you don't have to hire the photographer and, you know, and, and pitch me on all of your marketings that's going to pay for your huge building and your national brand and your... It's totally <laughs> stupid. Here's the point, people. Get smarter. <laughs> Be smart. Tell your friends. There is no catch. We're selling real estate just like everybody else does. Literally the We're just doing it at a better price. There is one corner that's cut. 
It's the exact same process except for one corner that gets cut. And that corner is we keep less of your money. That's it. It's the exact same process. And, and I, in a lot of ways, by the way, and you know this to be true, Ross, we do a better job than agents that are charging six or seven percent. We see all the time agents that put listings on that don't have photos on or that they, they have no mark, mark no marketing text or I the had, directions are wrong. Or, I had or photos whatever. because of the snowstorm today. I had photos that got delayed this morning. I planned on putting a house up tomorrow. I already reached out to the buyers or the sellers to say we're going to be uh, it's going to be another day before we put it up because we're not going to put it up without photos. It not going to do that. And we see that all the time. Bad directions, bad mis, misspellings, uh, uh, even uh, MLS violations. That we saw one of those yesterday. On, on the regular. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So more money does not necessarily, well, in most cases, did not buy you a better agent. It just doesn't. Rethink it. Hire us. We'll save you a bunch of money. All right. A couple of questions to end the show, Ross. These are just random. Okay. I'm just picking from a list here. What's the most useless talent you have? Oh my goodness! Oh, that 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 one's uh, that one's out of left field, man. What's the most useless talent that I have? What talents do I have? Um, there's got to be something that I can do that's oh, oh, weird. If I had to answer it, it Unless would be the Mickey voice is pretty good. Things like Mickey Mouse. I can roll my tongue, which I don't think is a talent, because that's just something you're either naturally born with or not. We were asking my kids like that the you, other day, you, and they couldn't talent, do it. Well, I'm tall. My wife and I could roll our tongues. Uh, I can't wiggle my ears. I can't really move my eyebrows. I got it. I got it. I okay. got it. I can do this thing with my lips, okay, where I can do the, I can do the dirty, hairy lip first, right? Yep. Where, where you get the Elvis thing going, yep. right? And you yep. get this yep. thing going, it looks like you're mad. Yep. But then, if you do this, and it looks like you attach a string to it, yep. and then you grab this one, yeah. you grab your bottom lip, you have this, and you're tying them up around each other. Okay. You have you have loose lips. Hopefully, yeah. they're not sinking ships, Ross. See what I did there with my lips? That's crazy. That's my. There you go. There you There's go. my useless talent. We totally, totally I tie my lips in a knot. Uh, where is the worst smelling place you've been? Oh man, there's a couple that pop up. That's a, that that brings back memories. Wow, that's a great one. Question. That, I don't know if it's the worst, but one that jumps to mind for me as a not good uh, smelling place, a bad smelling place, was I did some maintenance stuff at Iowa State one summer, and we would have to go out to vet med and do some projects out there occasionally to fix stuff. And like that place stunk, dude. Like oh. we'd walk into the rooms oh. where they're like, you know, the dead animals oh. <laughs> like laying around and stuff. That was not a good smell. All right, so I've got a couple that are going through my head here. Uh, one's one's really gross. The one, the first one that goes to me, I was a maintenance man in an apartment complex for a long time. And you, when people move out of homes, when people are kicked out of apartments, they destroy them, yeah. dude. Um, the the smells that get into walls would amaze you. the The stuff that's hiding under carpet would amaze you. When you rip up carpet and it's floating on beer and bong water. <laughs> um, the carpet pad literally is floating. That's that, There's a stench to that that makes you want to throw up. The worst smell I've ever had is one of my worst experiences I've ever had, and it was when I was doing construction with my dad. We were remodeling a basement, putting a bathroom in, and part of it was we, were, we had to cut into uh, a drain that was overhead um, to reroute it. And I was doing it with a sawzall, reciprocating saw, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the drain had, it was, it was to a sink, but the, the lady had a, a daycare and she had used the sink to clean out like cloth diapers. Mm. And it was full of fecal matter. Shite. 
Dude, I took a shit shower. <laughs> I I took I was I was sawing into this. It was supposed to be. I knew it was going to be gook in there. Yeah, so we're yeah, sawing yeah, yeah. in an old an old drain. I didn't expect it to be poop. Oh, and dude, and the reciprocating saw hit that thing at about whatever it is, you know, sixty five hundred <laughs> RPM. Oh, dude, horrible. And I, I can remember oh, my, I was yeah. working with my dad and my brother, and luckily we were in Pleasant Hill, where my dad, mom, where my dad still lived at that time, and he well, still does. And it, we were only a couple, couple blocks from his house, and it was like, go take a shower right now. You have to leave here. Every, they were laughing at me, of course. Of they course. thought it was hilarious. Oh, that was the worst. That was the what worst. What an idiot. Uh, I helped a guy tear down a burnt-down garage one time. That's cool. And that, nah, that was, it stunk like... Burnt garage? Yeah, the, that burnt smell got into you. What's the dumbest way you've been injured? Punching something, I would think, would be the Your dumbest hand. way. Mine's uh, not dumb. Mine was just, and I wasn't severely injured. I'm looking at my hand where I have a scar. I spiked myself long jumping in high school. Like, you, you jump oh. into the sand. So, like, when I landed, oh, yeah. somehow I got my hand turned the wrong way, and my foot ran over. And oh, spiked. That, I spiked wow, my own hand. That's a good hand. one. So, I've got a, a scar there. That's a good one. Uh, as a maintenance man, I cut my finger cutting weather stripping. Cut it, uh, cut it to the bone and... Had nerve damage and stuff on that finger. Oh. My Does it work fine? I still get tingles from time to time. Maybe yes. about once a month or so, I do something that makes it tingle. Uh, what is the worst purchase you've ever made? One that jumps to mind for me, by the way, was related to this business. I spent uh, or committed to spend $1,000 a month, so 12000 bucks over the course of a year for yellowpages.com. Wow. And this would have been early in my career. Didn't have any money. Really, and that was man, what a burden that ended up being. Because I wasn't making any money yet, and the salesperson and, at that point must have been a lot better than me. And because, nothing, uh, and nothing came in no, from it. No, because oh, nobody man. uses yellowpages.com. No. It was total waste. So that that one sticks out for sure. Dang. Um, boy, that uh, I bought. We bought Eli a Christmas gift one year that we thought was going to be an absolute home run, and it was a couple hundred dollars. Uh, it was like a um, kind of a uh, like I was the thing. I'm what are the deal I'm thinking of? That has the two wheels that they stand on hoverboard yeah, type thing, yeah. right? But it, he was he was a kid at the time. He was like five or six, so we weren't really quite trusting him on his own hoverboard. But Target had this really cool thing that you could stand up on and control. It was like a Segway type deal. It looked like a Segway, mm -hmm. and we thought this was going to be like the coolest thing ever, right? And he. Never, never once got on the thing. Really? Never. Scared? No, he just didn't like it. He just thought it was stupid. Just thought it was dumb and never once liked it. Never, ever once rode the thing. That is very interesting. Yeah. We, we, well, we bought one and it's been winter, so we haven't had a time to really use it. But yeah. it comes with like a little seat too. Like you can sit yeah. down and do it. A um, couple more. Shame on Eli for not even trying it. Uh, again, it's not... It, it, it's not, it, it, we bought it for, it's, it's more like a Segway. That's the word I was looking for than the hoverboard. It's not a, yeah. a freestanding yeah. thing. What's the worst commercial you've recently seen? Why is it so bad? I have two that jumped to mind right away. The Hy-Vee Our House commercial. Because I, I don't like that song. Our House in the middle of the street. Our House. And it's just kind of a weird commercial. Pristine family. White family wearing all white clothes and like a white environment about their day and it's just weird just a weird commercial um and then the other one would be a uh commercial with flow 
<laughs> and sh- and she's over for Sunday <laughs> sing along, and they're singing "Oh Danny Boy," but really terribly. And that that's really super annoying. And, and she plays the different characters. She plays the mom and the dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that bad. I can't think of any Mark. I can't think of any that make me roll my eyes right now. I really like the scoop. There it is with uh, with tag team. That I I could watch that commercial all day. My kid. Peanut butter chocolate chip cookie dough, or whatever he's he's saying it all the time. My daughter, Hollis, who's in kindergarten, said they were all singing it the other day. So, like, certain commercials like that catch on. Tag Team was actually on the Dan Patrick show, like, sometime last week, talking all about (laughs) the commercial. I love it. It's that big. All right, let me leave you with this one. See if you can come up with one. Okay. They use an example. What quote or saying do people spout but is complete BS? The example here is love means never having to say you're sorry. Oh, uh, Mark, there's a lot of those, right, that are that are just total BS. I, I'm, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Love is never having to say you're sorry. What kind of crap is that? There's one I like that is not BS, in my opinion. It's actually true, but it comes from, I don't know where originally it came from, but it came from the, the movie The Music Man. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I watched that a ton growing up. It takes place in Iowa. It's a musical, all of that. But this person's saying, like, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. And the quote, which I might butcher, but essentially is, if you add up enough tomorrows, you'll find that you're left with nothing but a lot of empty yesterdays. That's really good. I like that quote. That's a really good one. I That's, like, yeah. yeah. There you go. I like that a lot. I, mean, I, can, I can think of a lot more right now that I like than I don't, than I think are BS. Um, for do you, some have, a, do you have a favorite? My favorite one is the Charles Swindle quote. It's... Uh, uh, Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, it go, and, the, and the quote, it's much deeper and much longer than that. Um, yeah, so I like Charles Swindoll. I like Carl Sandberg. I mentioned him earlier. I really like Charles Bukowski. I, put, I sent him think, something about him in the group the other day because we were talking about our favorite authors, favorite writers. Uh, I, I like uh, Hunter Thompson. I like Jack Kerouac. We were talking about that in our group. Favorite writers? This must have been. Yeah, Ed. No, no, no. Ed. Ed put out there something about liking uh, Stephen King. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And who some of other his. Or, or, and uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, yeah, Kurt yeah. Vonnegut's got. I, I like Slaughterhouse Five, but Vonnegut make, reminds me of like a long form Bukowski because Bukowski just does poems, but Vonnegut turns those into. My favorite novels. is obviously uh, Gertrude Chandler Warner. That's my favorite author. That's your favorite, favorite one? Do you remember that? Do you know what books those were? You're going to know when I say it, Ross. I wonder if the, this is a trivia question. What is it? The Boxcar Children. Oh, yeah. Wrote that series. Like that. Well, I just bought a few of them for my kid to try out. So. Oh, good, 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 good health and wholesome, yeah. wholesome stories. You know what's funny is when you, <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is when you like look at a series and say, how many books are in this series? Because if he likes them, Gonna yeah. keep going. What am, am I? What am I? Buy, what am I buying? Forty-three what, books. What am I on the hook for? What, so in I, fact, boxcar children might be. I look into it a little bit. She wrote nineteen of them. Oh, I was gonna say right? seven. Okay, but the series continued with other offers. There's 150 of them. I don't think he'll like it that. 150. Much. Yeah, 150 of them in the series at this point. So we'll hope he just likes the first 19 and we'll call it quits. <laughs> but I, I haven't got it started. I've challenged Good it right now. Good luck. The latest challenge is the Rubik's cube. I bought one the other day, and uh, Seton is working on doing it. I told him I'd give him 100 bucks if he solves the Rubik's Cube. 
which is something I've never done in my life, by the way. I but, never have either. But but I'm aware of of how to do it. It isn't just. I used to think when I was little, oh, these people are just smart and just can see it and figure it out. Not true. There's an algorithm to it, up, left, right, down, whatever. And as soon as you start seeing some patterns, you keep doing that repetitively until it's solved. So I told him, because he started and was making good progress, and then as things go, he kind of sets it off to the side. And I said, you know what? I want to see you do it, not because um, I want to desperately give you 100 bucks so you can go buy video games or whatever, but like challenge yourself. Yeah, You'll feel good set once a, this is done. Set a goal and accomplish it. You've reached a point where it's like, man, I'm stuck. I'm challenged. That's what you got to push through yep, and I keep going. Completely agree. And there is a good chance later in life there'll be a Rubik's Cube laying around on a table somewhere and you can pick it up and solve it. Everyone's immediately impressed. That's just the way it works. The So one of the secrets, what I thought you were going to say when you said there's a secret to it, the only thing I've ever heard that I know to be true about solving them is that that center square never moves. Correct. So, so once you... You know, the yellow square in the middle, that means all the yellow ones have to get to that side. Yeah. And that, and that, that well, was- it, it's literally like you start um, by making a daisy. I think the daisy is the first step. So that's yellow in the middle and then like some whites around it. And then you move to a white cross and then you move to a completed white side. And then from there, it's find this, find this, find this, find this. And it does make a lot of sense, right? What is nuts is when people do that so many times, it becomes so good that they can pick up an unsolved cube and solve it in 20 seconds or, or something you, like that. Because you've seen the documentary about the kids that do yeah. it in like seconds. They, yeah. they are handed a, a Rubik's cube that another Rubik's cube expert has, yeah. has, has put into disarray. Correct. They are handed that and they can, they're able to look at it for like a minute or two minutes. They put their hands on it for seconds, nine seconds. Super quick. I, I'd like Done. to know how many moves there are in, in the time that they do it. I mean, they're moving so fast, you can't even tell what they're doing, but then they solve it. So, yeah, that's another one. That was on, was that Netflix? Or I that think so, probably. Something like that. All right, we got to go that eat. That was a fast hour, thanks. We got sandwiches. An hour 12, we brought it today. Uh, oh, by the way, you might have noticed, if you need to buy or sell a house, give us a call. Another episode of Jump the Shark is in the books. Ross and I hope you had fun with us, and we made your week a little better. If you love the show, you can help the show. Please subscribe to us wherever it is you listen to your podcast. You can also show some love by telling others about Charterhouse Real Estate. We have made it easy for you to talk about us by charging sellers a lot less commission. They will thank you for giving them our name. We truly appreciate your support, and we will talk to you next week.